We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Crossing route, Gurley makes the catch 20. First down, he hurdles. Far side of the field, stays on his feet. Inside the 10, Todd Gurley making his case for MVP. Wait, he throws back shoulder. Higby reaches out and makes an incredible catch for a first down. Off his back foot, he throws to the end zone. Cooper Cup leaping to make the catch. Out of bounds, he has it for six. He's got a knee-high snap, looking left. Now over the middle, he pump fakes. He rolls to his right with Connor Barwin pursuing. He knocks him down. The ball is thrown up in the air and batted away. Incomplete. The Rams' defense clinches it. Goff will come on the field for victory formation. Rams sideline across the field from us erupts in celebration. And so the playoffs are coming back to L.A. This January at the Coliseum. We, not me, versus the NFC. And for the first time since 2003, the Rams are NFC West champions. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is managing editor Derek C. Apollo with the man, the myth, the legend. Norm Hightower, and Magic Johnny Gomez. Uh, And we're here today uh, to cover the Raiders, the Vikings as part of our tour on the NFL. And, of course, we have uh, Jim Everett also making an appearance in the show. Before we do, we just want to ask you to head on over to iTunes. We could really use that five-star review. You can also find us on SoundCloud. 
Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM. Also, don't forget, IE Beat Radio airs the show on Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 10 a.m. Pacific Time. So, appearing today as part of our podcast, our tour in the league is Sam Angstrom from Locked on Vikings, which is a Minnesota Vikings podcast. We'll talk with him about the Vikings offseason and how they look on paper entering 2018. And then we'll catch up with RaidersStakePit.com and longtime NFL writer Bill Williamson to talk about the rather interesting Raiders offseason. And again, Jim Everett. So without further ado, let's talk with Sam Angstrom. First off, Sam, welcome to the show. You're here from Locked on Vikings. How are you? It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I, we've been talking about your guys' offseason quite a bit. You guys have been pretty splashy, and uh, the Vikings have as well. A couple of contenders in the NFC should be a great year. Well, that's the thing is that the Vikings here, it always seems with the, when it comes to the old school Rams fans, the Vikings are always in our way. Always. And now here we are once again trying to emerge, and the Vikings are still in our way. So if you're ready, we'll get right into the questions. Yeah, let's roll. Hit me. All right. So, Sam, what were some of the biggest challenges facing the Vikings entering the 2018 offseason? You know, the Vikings weren't necessarily going to this offseason with tremendous needs. It was more making small improvements, plugging small holes, things of that nature. Did they get good quarterback play last year? Of course they did. They got, I mean, you might say great quarterback play from Case Keenum, but they go out and they sign arguably the best free agent quarterback in Kirk Cousins to an $84 million fully guaranteed deal. I mean, that That is a move indicative of a team that believes they are in a clear-cut Super Bowl window. Uh, they, they go out and they had great defensive line play last year as well, and they improved an already great line by bringing in Sheldon Richardson. He's going to be the three technique next year on a one-year sort of uh, prove it deal, a bridge deal to get into that next potential big contract after just a one sack season in Seattle last year. But, uh, you know, in the draft, they take an offensive lineman in the second round to provide some depth there after losing uh, their right guard, Joe Berger, to retirement. And they added depth at some other critical areas. But uh, this team is still pretty well equipped to make a run. There's not a whole lot of weaknesses necessarily on this team. Uh, they've got the quarterback that. You know, it's got a nice three-year resume now. You pretty much know who Kirk Cousins is, what he can deliver, and you've got skill position players around him. So this offseason was really just about, you know, retaining the guys you needed to, maybe starting on some extensions that uh, were creeping up. And, and honestly, that might be one of the bigger concerns is how are you going to retain this core? Because you've got a lot of big contracts due. they got to jump on it by extending Eric Hendricks. Still got to work on Daniil Hunter, Stefan Diggs, Anthony Barr. They're all free agents after next year. So uh, this is a big year for the Vikings because there's potential with the money they're giving Cousins that they could run into salary cap issues, might lose a couple guys. So this is a big year for Minnesota, and I think they're really going all in. Well, it sounds a lot like the Rams as well because, you know, we still have Aaron Donald hanging out there with his contract, and then we have a lot of extensions coming up as well. They did exercise the fifth year on Todd Gurley and on uh, Marcus Peters, but there's a bunch of guys coming up that we're going to have to pay next year as well. You, you said that the Rams offseason was splashy, so what did you think of the Rams offseason overall in free agency and in the draft? I mean, it's it's similar to the Vikings in that you're just amassing talent. You're trying to 
to put it all out there. I mean, the, the Super Bowl windows, even if it feels like you have a solid core in place, they can still be fleeting. You know, it seemed like Seattle was built for a long, long run, didn't it? They had the one Super Bowl, then they come up just short against the Patriots because of the, the, the call from the one-yard line. And here they are three, four years later, and they're starting to get depleted. They still got Russell Wilson, but not many other core pieces from that team, and their window might be shut. Um, that's how fast things can go in the NFL. So I think the Rams are really shoving everything into the middle of the table. Um, you know, and after one huge improve, one year of huge improvement from Jared Goff, um, the way that defense played last year, I think there's reason to think that they can keep ascending. I think one of the things we've talked about on the show, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have discussed it as well, all the personalities that, that you have on that team now with uh, Peters, Tlaib, Sue, um, there's a lot of ego there. You know, there, there's a lot of big personalities, tons of talent. Um, and, and you do wonder if uh, that can be managed well, how that's going to go with a young head coach, if he encounters maybe some locker room issues. But, I mean, I'll tell you what, on paper, the Rams are looking awfully good. I mean, and I didn't, I didn't follow your draft, obviously, quite as closely as we did uh, our own draft here in Minnesota. I, it didn't look like you guys had a ton of high draft picks, but you know, when, you, when you're a stacked team like the Rams roster is, kind of like the Vikings, you're, you're just trying to plug holes. You're trying to find depth in case people get hurt. You're trying to find guys that can play those niche roles, and uh, I feel like the Rams did that. I liked that uh, Obo Oronquo, or Okoronquo pick. I think that was one of the better value picks in the draft. For the Vikings, this is where I'm I'm really interested in is because last season the running back situation was one of powerhouse initially. And then, you know, injuries, the injury bug kind of hit. How is Dalvin Cook coming back? Is he still on the mend? Is he going to come back 100%? What's he looking like? And behind uh, Cook, if he is healthy, who is going to replace McKinnon? Obviously, it's actually coming to the NFC West. So who's going to take that role? Will it be Mac Brown? Will it be Latavius Murray? We saw a little bit of Murray last year. Did well at, at, at times. What's your thinking on the running back situation in Minnesota? We actually got the privilege of talking to the athletic trainer at one of the workout sessions a couple weeks ago, Eric Sugarman, and he gave us the update on Dalvin Cook. He's about six and a half months into the ACL rehab, and he called it the sweet spot now because he's back to a point where he can actually do things beyond sitting on a treatment table and working on his range of motion. You know, he's running, he's cutting, uh, he's trying to sprint and build that speed back up. And the next step is to start putting pads on, start having him absorb contact and doing real football things. And they have every hope that he's going to be ready for training camp. So the Vikings go in, I think planning on him being the week one starter at running back. And if last year was any indication, the first three and a half games of the year before he went down, he was the bell cow. He was getting the lion's share of the carries. And a lot of people assumed it was going to be a rotation. It was going to be Cook, McKinnon, Murray sharing the load early on. It wasn't that way at all. It was all Cook. And you could see why. He was immensely talented, not in the running game only, but also in the passing game. When they lost Cook, ironically, as good as Cook was, they actually improved their per game output in the running game. And it was, there was something magical about that McKinnon Murray combination. One of them seemed to step up every game. It was a good one, two punch. They each brought something different to the table. And I think Jerick McKinnon really got an opportunity to burst onto the scene. And that's obviously why he got paid 30 million from 
San Francisco, and I think he's going to thrive there. But the Vikings, if there's any surprise from their draft, they did not draft a running back. They did not take someone to replace McKinnon. So Latavius Murray is the clear-cut number two. He restructured his contract in the offseason. I think this is probably his last year in Minnesota. I think people here in Minnesota preferred McKinnon to Murray because he's a little quicker, he's shiftier, uh, more versatile, and also a really good pass protector. There's going to be a competition for that third running back spot. They brought in a couple of UDFAs. They do have Mac Brown. I'm not sure Mac Brown is, is a huge contender in that race, but uh, they also have C.J. Ham, who's sort of a running back, fullback hybrid. They brought in Cameron Petway, who's a similar mold, could be a short yardage guy. Um, there's going to be a three- or four-man competition with some relative unknowns to get that third job. But again, if it's like last year, it's going to be a heavy dose of Dalvin Cook and then a sprinkle of Murray and running back du jour. You mentioned the big surprise of the draft there not being a running back for the Vikings. What were some other big surprises in the draft, and what do you think the Vikings could have done better in this year's draft? Yeah, I've, I've read all the national coverage on the Vikings draft, and I think generally people gave them like a B, B-minus grade, and I think a lot of that stems from they opted not to go offensive line with their first pick. That was what everybody was expecting here in Minnesota and hoping for, frankly, because you needed a starter on that offensive line to replace Joe Berger. He's been the stalwart on that line for three or four years, retired at a ripe age, had a great career, and the Vikings needed to replace him. And they, they drafted a guy in Brian O'Neill in the second round, 62nd overall pick, who I think profiles as a really athletic talent, someone who can start in the long run, but maybe not in year one. He's only 300 pounds, might need to add a little more weight and refine his game a little bit more. So then you go into camp with maybe a competition on the offensive line, which might not instill a whole lot of confidence. You want to go in with a solidified offensive line, and Vikings fans have long been frustrated at the ineptitude of the pass protection. And, and for a couple of years, that the Teddy Bridgewater year, the Sam Bradford year, that was a huge problem. It improved last year, and I think the hope was that you could improve it again and become maybe a top 10 line going into 2018. I'm not sure the Vikings have done much to to, to make fans believe that. Uh, they, they brought in a an interior lineman, Tom Compton, who adds some versatility. He's, he can be a swing man inside. They bring back Nick Easton, who can play guard. Uh, they draft a sixth-round guard in Colby Gossett, which obviously isn't inspiring a whole lot of people. The Vikings do believe he can be someone that makes the 53-man roster. But I think the knock is probably the offensive line situation. You know, they go cornerback with the first-round pick. They're obviously set at cornerback. They've got Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, Terrence Newman all back this year, Mac Alexander entering his third season. So you added a strength to an area of strength instead of drafting like an Austin Corbett or a James Daniels, who were both available at the time. So that's probably the knock on the draft. Uh, they, they also didn't go running back, like I mentioned. Didn't go receiver. Might have liked to add another receiver to the mix, but they also had a really good UDFA haul at receiver with four pass catchers coming in to compete for a spot. So I think they did pretty nicely in that regard. But offensive line, that's going to be the bugaboo of this team if they have any. I was a little surprised that they cleaned house at quarterback and then spent all that money on Kirk Cousins because we both have experience with Case Keenum. 
and you know obviously he did an admirable job with you guys what did you think of him and how do you think he'll fare now that he's moved on to Denver it was such an enigma and it was such a weird offseason I'm not sure that the NFL will ever ever have a similar situation to the one the Vikings had you know if you watch that Game of Thrones show you know how like there's all these characters that feel like they have the right to the throne well that was sort of how it was in, in Minnesota you've got Case Keenum the guy coming off his best season by a long shot. He thinks he should be the starter. Sam Bradford, he's saying, well, wait, I set the NFL record for completion percentage two years ago. I had an amazing week one game against the Saints. I should be your starter. Then there's Teddy Bridgewater, who was the franchise quarterback, led the team to a division title in 2015. He thinks he should be the starter. So you got three guys who all, I think, have valid claim to that spot, and then they go with none of them. They bring in the outsider, but Keenum was great. I mean, he was exciting. He had personality. He had moxie, obviously delivered on the Minneapolis Miracle, which is going to be one of the all-time great Minnesota sporting moments. Um, but I think it came down to a very calculated value decision. you got a 30-year-old quarterback who's coming off his greatest overall season, so his value is never going to be higher. And I think you have to... at and to some extent say, well, this is an anomaly of a season. The Case Keenum we saw before this was not this good. He's going to be worth a whole bunch of money, maybe not uh, his true value. We've got all these contracts coming uh, down the chute. We don't want to get stuck with a big contract for a guy that might have been an enigma. He might have been a one-hit wonder. We feel a little bit more confident giving this massive amount of money to Kirk Cousins, who at least has a three-year track record of consistency. You know, they're giving Cousins maybe $8 million more per year than Keenum is for the first two years. Uh, I think they can swallow that for uh, the durability that he's probably going to bring and the consistency that he's probably going to bring. But best of luck to Case Keenum going forward. I think he's around a nice defense there in Denver. Uh, that's a, a really good franchise, and, and he deserves it. Uh, he put in his time. He paid his dues, and he had a great year. So he's set for life now, and I wish him the best. I think everyone does here in Minnesota. Well, the part that was really confusing was, and I know that they had to do it to get to get Cousins to come in, but the guaranteed money, because that's a lot of risk and a lot of money, and that's where I was a little bit surprised. Yeah, and that's something that Cousins pushed for. And uh, I think, and I, you know, I don't have solid sources on this, but I think he, he might have turned down more potential money elsewhere to come to Minnesota for the fully guaranteed number. And I think Cousins, you know, he's from, you know, the the Midwest. He he went to college in, at Michigan State. I think Minnesota was a draw to him, but he sees the talent there. You know, he sees what the defense brings. And a good defense like Minnesota has is is really a quarterback's best friend. So the, the guaranteed money was a, a whole new precedent in the NFL, maybe ushering in a whole new era of contract negotiations. And and Cousins has done an unbelievable job of leveraging himself and betting on himself and winning. And I think that was something that drew the Vikings to him. Mike Zimmer looked at this guy and said, man, this this guy bet on himself two years in a row. He cashed in the franchise tag and and he kept delivering. And he likes that aspect of Kirk Cousins, that he's a battler and he believes in himself. And the Vikings gave him the money and they're going all in, guys. They They think they can be a Super Bowl contender. It's very possible that the Vikings can be that Super Bowl contender, especially when, like you said, there isn't a whole lot of holes to fill in. It Obviously, the biggest holes that they needed, they kind of filled in the offseason, I feel, 
the biggest home runs, obviously, it was Kirk Cousins and Sheldon Richardson. Was there anyone else in free agency that uh, the Vikings signed that might be kind of an under-the-radar signing uh, and maybe possibly another signing that you still kind of have to question, scratch your head a little bit as to why the Vikings went in that direction? I think the most underrated signing was Kendall Wright. They brought him in from the Bears to be their new slot receiver. They saved a couple million dollars by releasing Jarius Wright, number 17, and bringing in Kendall Wright, who's going to wear number 17. So no one has to get a new jersey. You just keep the same jersey, and it's going to work (laughs) out. But he actually had the best catch rate on targets last year amongst slot receivers, according to Pro Football Focus. And he's playing for a few bucks and a ham sandwich, basically. He's he's got a really small contract, and he was super effective last year. So I think that's a a sneakily big signing because they had a ton of uncertainty at wide receiver three after they cut Jarius Wright because Laquan Treadwell frankly might be in trouble of not making this team if he continues to struggle like he has the first two years which is shocking for a first round pick but he's had a bunch of issues they're set obviously with Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen as the one two but they needed some depth there in case one of those guys went down with an injury and Stefan Diggs has been a little bit injury prone uh, I don't think there were there were too many negatives about free agency just for the simple reason that you have limited funds and you spent those funds on generally on one guy on Kirk Cousins the the Sheldon Richardson deal it was okay that it was you know a little pricey because it's only one year you're not locked in long term there so they gave him around 10 million bucks but Kendall Wright great value signing Tom Compton value signing to provide depth on the offensive line otherwise it was a fairly quiet offseason for the Vikings and and I don't think there were too many misses on their part. All right, Sam, we know you got to get going here. We just appreciate you coming on. One last question, then we'll go ahead and you know let you go and be sad about it. What are your prospects for the Vikings in 2018, and how deep of a playoff run do you think they'll make? Yeah, it's a million-dollar question because conceivably the roster could be better on paper, and the team could have more consistency at quarterback. You know, They might get more production from their – they're starting running back, what have you. But you can have a, a good team and still struggle to win games in, in this league, just the way the ball bounces. You know, it comes down to a, a flag gets thrown in the fourth quarter, field goal clanks off the upright, and those those coin toss games. And a lot of them went the Vikings way last year. And I don't think that necessarily is going to happen. It's hard to build on 13 wins. Like, that's a once-every-20-years type team. That doesn't happen very often in the NFL unless they're the Patriots. Uh, So to do it back-to-back years is tough. So I can't say I'm expecting the Vikings to improve on 13 wins, even though I think the team might be better. The defense is virtually all intact after being one of the best in the league and uh, one of the best, you know, maybe in the last five years. So I think the Vikings have a tough schedule. I mean, they're going to probably get Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers this year, whereas they beat him twice last year without him after injuring him in the first quarter of their first meeting. Uh, They get the Patriots. That's a tough game. You know, Bills, playoff team last year. Uh, The Lions improved. The Bears probably improved. And every team, you you go down the list, and I think you could make a case that they're all good teams. Like, there aren't aren't a lot of of, um, easy wins in this league. And it it all depends when you get them on the schedule, how are they playing, who's hurt, uh, who has the momentum at the time. I think the Vikings are a playoff team. But the question is, can they get a home game in the NFC Championship? I think the home field advantage for this team is absolutely crucial. 
And there were times last year when they really struggled on the road, particularly on grass outdoors. And that manifested itself in the Philadelphia Eagles game. Like this defense wants to play fast and they just weren't able to, they weren't able to get any traction in that NFC championship game. So uh, unless they can gun it during the season, get the number one seed and get the playoffs all at home. I, I don't know if I would say Super Bowl for this team, and I think it's for any team to declare that they're going to win the Super Bowl is hard because there's so many unknowns. But and the goal for this team just has to be win, win your home games, stay healthy, get in the postseason, and then just see what happens. And that's when you hope that your investment in the quarterback has paid off and that he can deliver in the postseason. He doesn't have a lot of postseason experience, so that'll be a, a kind of a mystery, I think, for everybody how he responds to that. But I'm saying playoff team. Whether that's a division winner or a wild card, I can't predict because the Packers are always a threat. Aaron Rodgers is a threat. I think this team wins double-digit games, uh, but you're on your own after that. All right, Sam. We just want to thank you for coming on. Can you really quickly let us know, well, let our, our listeners know where they can follow you uh, both on Twitter and also for Locked on Vikings? Yeah, you bet. Locked on Vikings available on iTunes. You can subscribe there. LockedOnVikings.com, the website. And you can find all of my work, all my writing, covering the zone coverage or covering the Vikings for zonecoverage.com. Uh, not just Vikings, but if you're a Twins fan, T Wolves fan, Gophers, uh, WNBA's links, we've got the coverage at zonecoverage.com. So uh, thanks a lot for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Best of luck to your squad this year. I think you've got a lot of great things to discuss and a lot of, uh, a lot of bright future ahead of you. Well, we'll see you week four, so hopefully we can get together before that game and, and do another podcast and talk about what to expect. Yeah, Thursday night should be fun. Yep. It should be a lot of fun. All right. He knew what he was talking about. I really appreciate him coming on the podcast. He, he came on a short notice and was concerned in terms of how much time we'd have. Uh, 15, 20 minutes is what we were looking for. That's what we got. I think a little more, actually, so we're glad he came on. Guys, of all things he talked about, what really, what really got to you? Uh, I'm not really surprised about anything. I, I, honestly, the Vikings are one of the teams that we knew to watch out for this year. And, uh, you know, we, we paid attention to them in the draft and, and in free agency. And, and they've done exactly what he said. And, you know, I, I really see the Vikings being a good team and probably going to be our nemesis at some point. I think week four will tell the tale on how we're going to do uh, not only for the season, but, you know, for a possible playoff run. And, and the Vikings are, you know, really they're they're the team to beat right now in the NFC, So uh, other than the Eagles. So we'll see. As far as the Vikings, what they've done during the offseason, nothing really surprised me. The only surprise that I really heard from in this interview is kind of Sam's um, conservative approach to evaluating the uh, Vikings season. Don't get me wrong. I know Sam's just being like, uh, more professional, but like if I'm Sam, I'm thinking that the Vikings have a legitimate shot at the Super Bowl. You know, again, I realize he's being a little bit on the conservative side, but other than the Rams and the Eagles, I mean, either one of these three teams can really make a legitimate argument, at least on paper at this time, that they have a great shot at the Super Bowl. So that kind of surprised me a little bit, but you know, I understand. I'm not so sure I agree. I mean, what he's really saying is anything can happen in the NFL. Yeah, I, I didn't see him demeaning or being conservative, so to speak, on the Vikings' chances. He just knows that, A, it's a tougher schedule. B, the team had a lot of breaks go their way last year. I mean, a lot of breaks go their way. 
and they might not necessarily go go their way this year. We can we can go back to us and think the same way. We can go back and think, well, you know what, the Rams had very few injuries, especially on the offensive line. Every starter played every game. Is that a given for next year? No. And this team is probably more talented than last year. It's deeper. It's got more playmakers. But this team could have a worse record. And really, you're a left tackle injury away from all of a sudden your blind side's not being covered. So I'm not so sure that he's wrong to be conservative because, honestly, come August when we're making our predictions, we're probably going to be thinking the same way. We're probably going to be thinking, you know, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard schedule, and we got off a little easy last year. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you, Derek, in the sense that, you know, they're in the same you know league with the Viking, the Vikings, the Packers, the, the Bears. You know, it's a tough division like we have. They had a really stellar year last year and not quite sure, you know, that they were going to make it as far as they did. And then, you know, they pulled off a couple of, you know, little miracles and things like that and, and had a really great season. And it, it's tough to, to think that you'll do that, that back-to-back. On paper, they got better like we have. We got better on paper too, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to have a better season either. So I kind of understand where he's coming from and – I, I'm really looking forward to, to the week four matchup because I think that's going to let us both know kind of where we're at. I mean, I guess what I was trying to say is a little more confidence, you know, and I know it's tough. It's still early in this off season. I mean, the off season isn't even close to being over. I, I, I kind of wish it was, you know, football just needs to get here already. But at the same time, like that confidence that you have to have, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess maybe because this is kind of like for me, the first time I've been confident and the Rams in quite some time. Like, I kid you not, from the previous years, I, you know, I was with everybody, you know, maybe we'll be lucky if we get to seven and nine kind of thing, you know, seven and nine bullshit and all that good stuff. But since the cards are on our table at the moment, why not kind of be a little more confident? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Well, because you just don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to be honest, man. I'm looking at this way. I look at the franchise two ways. Long term, I think the Rams franchise is in great hands, has a great future. I think they've turned around the culture of the team, okay? But on the flip side of it, I also understand one thing about this team. Anything can go wrong, especially with the tough schedule they have, especially when they're facing a gauntlet of opponents, a couple injuries here and there, and that dream we have of the Super Bowl could be over. Another possibility, let's just say that the this new mix of personalities does not, does not go over the way we think it will or hope it will. The talent's there, but maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe the chemistry's not there. Do I think long-term that changes the Rams' fortunes? No, because I think they have the right leadership in place to contend most of the time, if not all the time. But there's just no given in today's NFL, especially when it comes to ego, when it comes to injuries, and really when it comes to freak things happening. I mean, nobody expect nobody, well, except for you, I, I guess yeah. you would no, expect the team to go eleven and five last year. It's okay. And, it's okay, Debbie. We we get it. No, I'm just being real. <laughs> no, just, oh, hold on, hold on. I am giving you two sides of perspective here. I'm just that's what I'm saying. I'm saying long term. I think the Rams' future is bright. I think they've changed the culture. That's a positive. But with any NFL season, crap happens, and no. you, it's just not a given. You're going to be thirteen and three. I get that. I'm just saying that you're more the Debbie Downer most of the time. You're the, the glass half empty guy. Johnny's more of the, you know, rah, rah, we're going to win, we're going to win. And I'm kind of the guy in the middle saying, yeah, I'm confident, but I still have my doubts. 
So, you know, that's kind of how we're sitting. And, and I get where Johnny's coming from. I get where you're coming from. I'm just waiting for the team to, to let it all out and see what happens. I think we can all agree, though, any given Sunday. Oh, for sure. We saw that when the Rams were bad. All of a sudden, they go out there and they shock the Saints a couple of times. Drew Brees and the Saints, they had the Saints number for a while there when they were bad. You just, you just never know. That's right. Let's not think about this. All right. So moving on. Guy, get the sponsor out of the way. You know, we have a uh, we've been getting some really good feedback on our podcast. And one of the best parts about our podcast is we wouldn't even have it without the Golden Ram Barbershop. They've been with us now for almost a year. And we're, we're pretty privileged to have a sponsor like them. So what we want you to do, folks, if you're in the Westminster, Southern Cal area, and you need a haircut, please do us a solid by doing Sal Martinez a solid over the, at the Gold Ram Barbershop, 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Okay, let me say it again one more time. 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California. Sal Martinez opened up the shop as a shrine to the Rams on the day the team left for St. Louis. He's kept the light on ever since. He's by appointment only, so give him a call at 714-894-RAMS or 7267. Use the promo code RAMSTALK so he knows we sent you, and you can get a discount on an already affordable haircut. Stores open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. and Saturday, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Okay, one more time. Give him a call, 714-894-7267. A visit to his shop is worth it to enjoy all the Rams and Maravillia, but also he provides an old-school barbershop experience where he talks football and more. Trust me, folks, you won't regret it. Sally the man should make my blockhead and Norm's funky-looking head appear, well, normal. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. Okay, also, hey, we are also looking for more sponsors, especially with the season coming up. Uh, it's a great, inexpensive way to get the word out in your business. Our numbers are growing crazy fast right now, so please, hey, Get in touch with us. It will save you money now because eventually as we get more listens, we'll have to we'll, we'll raise our rates. So reach out to us at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We do have a media kit ready to get out to you. All right, guys. Our next guest is from RaiderSnakePick.com. It's longtime NFL writer Bill Williamson. And he'll be uh, – he had some interesting things to say about the Raiders and uh, where they're going this year. Here's our interview with him. We're here with RaiderSnakePit.com longtime NFL writer Bill Williamson. Bill, welcome to the show, and how are you? Hey, thanks for having me. How are you doing? Uh, we're doing great. We're uh, excited to have you on. It was, it's been an exciting offseason, especially for the Raiders, which uh, takes me to my first question immediately. What convinced John Gruden to come back to the Raiders, and what do you think of the job he's done thus far? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the, the money was right. I think he was, I think he was maybe getting a little bored with doing the announcing. Um, you know, 10 years, a hundred million dollars that will convince a lot of people. And, you know, they have a solid quarterback in Derek Carr that can only get better. And, you know, he's just entering his prime. So I think the time was just right for him to come to the Raiders. Now, what have the Raiders done in free agency to, to take the next step to be making the playoffs next season? Well, you know, the Raiders have been the most active team in free agency. Uh, they've, they've signed 18 unrestricted free agents that were on other teams last year. That's, you know, that's just a wild number. Um, it's the most in the league by far. They just signed Derek Johnson. Um, but it's interesting because a lot of these guys are older. A lot of them are role players. Uh, most of them are on one- or two-year deals. So we're going to see – turnover next year maybe even the next year for the Raiders so 
I don't know if he's rebuilding. He's just kind of reloading right now and, and seeing what he has. So it's a, it's an interesting approach. I don't know if it's the correct pro- approach, but John Gruden has been um, ever since the day before the season ended when the ESPN report came out that John Gruden was likely going to become the Raiders coach. And then, the, you know, the next day after they lost, uh, to the Chargers on uh, New Year's Eve, and Jack Del Rio was fired literally two minutes after the game. It's just been wild, and it's been wild ever since. And uh, Grand Sea was wild. The draft was wild. And, you know, I mean, yesterday we're, it's a Friday in May, and it, it, it's super busy. I mean, so Gruen is just really being proactive here. Well, he took a team with only four players at over 29 years old last season. Now he's added to what you said a ton more. What is his overall Yeah, there's now 18 goal? players over 29 yeah. years old. Yeah, that's that's a crazy number. What is his overall goal by adding that many veterans? Well, I think he's just comfortable with veterans. Um, you know, he this is a guy who hasn't coached in 10 years, so he's really going to be reliant on his top assistants and guys like Rich Bichella, his uh, special teams coach, Tom Cable, the offensive line coach. Those guys have had an influence on this roster. So... He's really um, – he, he just wants to get a comfort level, and, and you know, he's he's really big into teaching, and he wants to get, uh, you know, this thing going as quickly as possible. I think that's why he's bringing a lot of veterans because they, you know, tend to learn faster than young kids. But, again, we'll see if it works. Well, you mentioned now 18 veterans signed this year, that many over age 29. What are some of the holes that are still on the roster there? Well, you know, if you look on paper, the Raiders don't have a lot of – quote, holes, I mean, linebacker, outside and middle linebacker. I mean, they, they signed Derek Johnson, so I guess that middle linebacker hole is filled. You know, they, they can use a, probably another safety, and they use another pass rusher. So they, on paper, they don't have a lot of holes, but I think they have a ton of questions. There's, they're not really a high level at a lot of positions. I don't think you can say the Raiders are – you know, have a pro bowler at a lot of positions. You know, offensive line in a couple of places, but there's a lot of question marks. Yeah, obviously, Khalil Mack. Um, but the defense, I don't know if the defense is better. There's new faces there. They're probably better collectively at cornerbacks than they have been. They, they brought in six cornerbacks this offseason, five free agents and one draft pick. But I don't know if they're really, you know, above average in a lot of the places. Now, you mentioned question marks. What's the biggest question mark they have? You know, um, this, it, can the defense, you know, have some impact players other than Quill Mack? And I, and, and I think two other questions are well, – three other questions. Does Groom still have it? Can Derek Carr become the 216 Derek Carr, an MVP candidate, rather than the 217 Derek Carr, who often looks like a backup? And, you know, can Amari Cooper, the receiver, can he finally find some consistency? So those are those are really the big factors around the Raiders. Carr – Gruden, Cooper, and Matt, and getting Max some help. Well, what are your views about Carr? He looked great in 2016. What happened? Is it an aberration, or should we expect a return to form in 2018? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he can be. I think he can get a return to form. He, he's a smart guy. He, he really, really cares. He works hard. He's a good person. Um, you know, a quarterback in the NFL is tough, and, and, and things happen, and we've seen good players take a dip. Um, at, at that position, but we will also see him them uh, respond, and I, I think he can respond. Is there concern? Sure, there's concern because you know he had a lot of bad tape last year, um, but I think it's correctable. So what did you guys see on the tape? 
that's the coach's job. I think anybody who's not a coach and uh, likes to talk about tape, I don't really like playing that game. But he well, he was skittish a little bit, and he was uh, didn't have a lot of accuracy um, at, at times. And again, just kind of rushing the ball, I think, was too much. But again, that's a coach's thing. The Raiders did a lot, I felt, to try and fix some of their holes and went out and made a rather interesting move when they went out and got Colton Miller. How did they fare in the draft, and what were their worst and best picks? Well, I, I thought Colton Miller was, quote, the worst pick because I think they could have got him a little later. They could have traded down. They obviously wanted to tackle, and I get it. I mean, you know, protecting Derek Carr is key, but I think they could have gone away with it this year with, with you know, with what they had. And they let go a lot of really good impact, potential impact defensive players go. I mean, whether it was Micah Fitzpatrick, whether it was Vita Vey, whether it was uh, Terrell Edmonds, Tremaine Edmonds, uh, Derwin James, who went to the Chargers in the division, they bypassed a lot of really good players on the defensive side, and they need to get impact players on defense back. So I didn't really like that pick. I get it. I just don't know if he was the right, correct tackle to pick. And then um, Nick Nelson, the fourth-round pick from Wisconsin, banged up at his pro day, but it's only a six-week injury. I think he was a good value pick. You know, they got Maurice Hurst. They got Ernie Key. These guys both really dropped in the draft uh, for a reason. People dropped in the draft for reasons. Key was character issues. Hurst was medical issues. Maybe it works out for the Raiders. Uh, maybe, maybe it does. But they took a lot of risk in this draft. P.J. Hall was considered a reach. Brandon Parker in the third round. They traded three picks to take him in the first pick of the third round, and he told us on a conference call that I thought I was going to go about the fifth round. P.J. PJ Hall says he thought he was going to go in the fifth round. He went in the second round. That doesn't make them bad players, but, you know, I don't know if they got a lot of value in some of these picks. But, again, some of these guys may pan out, and I'm not saying they're bad players, but it was just it was a very interesting draft, to say the least. Well, you just mentioned Maurice Hurst. Raiders did face some criticism for taking him. There was an article on Yahoo Sports yesterday about it. What do you think of their decision to draft him, and how confident do you believe the Raiders are that he will do well? Well, you know, I'm kind of skittish in talking about this because, you know, it's life or death. They felt comfortable with it. He feels comfortable playing. I thought I saw some of the comments by, you know, a nominous head coach. I thought that was kind of chicken poop on on his uh, behalf. You know, I, I'm not sure. Maybe a little overly dramatic. But teams, some teams took him off their board. The Raiders are saying, hey, he's cleared right now. We're just going to have to take it year by year. So we'll see. But it, it's certainly a risk. But they got him in the fifth round, and he has talent above the fifth round. So we'll see if, 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 he, if it works out. I mean, I guess the biggest point is, He's known about this thing for a few years, and he never missed any time because of it at Michigan. So we will see. All those things overall, how would you grade this offseason for the Raiders? A C. You know, not overly – I don't know if they got a lot better. I think they just changed what how they look. That's I, I, I just worry that the defense is not going to have these impact players. And, you know, Jordy Nelson was a big free agent pickup, and he's going to be 33 uh, this month. So they did a lot, but I just don't know how much impact it's going to be. But some of these guys are going to be really good, and some of them aren't, and they're going to make changes next year again. So with all those things out there, what's your outlook for the Raiders next year? I think they're probably, you know, they were 6-10 and 10 last year. They were 12-4 and four the year before. Um, I would say right now, guess about 8-8, eight and eight, you know, pretty average, I, I would think. And what do you think would be their 
their cap, like their high their, and their floor? Oh, I I would say anywhere between six and ten wins is 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 the Raiders' season. That's why I kind of went in the middle of eight. Yeah. Okay. Well, it just uh, it doesn't seem to me that you are overly confident about the job they did in the off season. I just think there's a lot of questions. That's all. I mean, you know, I I just think they did a lot of stuff, but a lot of stock into impact. And I just don't know how many truly impact players they got for for this year. Then moving over here, another thing that's kind of in the back, I was thinking anybody's minds involved in the organization. This team is moving again. How are the fans in yep. Oakland dealing with this team moving again? You know, I mean, they were really mad when it happened. I don't think they ever thought it was going to happen until the really moment it did. And, um, and I think there's some people mad. But the Raiders fan base is, is, is really uh, unique because it's they're one of the baby booner teams, you know, really the one of the team in the 70s, like the Steelers and the Cowboys. So they have a fan base throughout the country. And, you know, I, I've traveled with the Raiders a long time, and, you know, pretty much every road game, no matter where it is, there's a lot of Raider fare. So the fact that they're going to be in Vegas, you know, this isn't like, you know, the Arizona Cardinals moving. The, the Raiders have a big fan base nationally. So I, I think it's going to be okay. Familiarize our listenership with, what on earth happened in Oakland? How was it possible this team is going to move again? What fell apart in terms of a possible stadium up there? Well, the city in Oakland, of Oakland was just never serious about getting a new stadium. And, uh, you know, I think they, they didn't have any urgency. And the Raiders, to their credit, got things going to Vegas. And Vegas, you know, got it through. And there you go. And the city of Oakland did not come through for a stadium. So simple as that. How has it always been like that for Oakland? Or was it always – a a gimme that they were never going to build a new stadium? Because if, if that's the case... Then it never happened, so yeah. yeah. That, that stadium is a wreck. It, it, you know, it's it, it's it's old and, and it's really a hole. So yeah, it's been a problem for a long time. It never got addressed. Yeah, I was just wondering because the team moved back and I'm, and I'm wondering if it well, was that never going to was You know, just money, money stuff and it was 20 years ago and, you know, just, it's, yeah, just part of the history. Okay, well, we're almost done here, I promise. Uh, how are the fans in Las Vegas doing in terms of latching on the Raiders? Are they stoked? What are you hearing out of there? You know, I think they're getting excited. Um, you know, I mean, you see what's happening with the hockey team there. That you know, that's a, a real hot spot. So I think I think they'll they'll be embraced in Las Vegas, and I think you know, Las Vegas is going to be kind of like a Super Bowl every week. A lot of Raider fans are going to go to Vegas for the weekend. Uh, on game days, and I think a lot of fans from the opposing team is going to go to Vegas uh, on a weekend. You know, for example, say you're from Buffalo and you know you're planning let's go to Vegas this year, and hey, the Raiders are going to go, the, the Bills are going to Vegas this year. Let's wait until season schedule comes out and plan our trip. I think you're going to see a lot of that type of stuff as well. So, with that in mind, moving forward, are the Raiders in any way still disappointed that they, that they lost on on the LA market or? Are they totally cool with what they're getting in Las Vegas and, and their new I think they, I think it worked out pretty well for them in Vegas, yeah. All right, final question, because we're going to see a lot of each other this year. The Rams and the Raiders play each other once in the free agency. They they play each other again in the regular season. From afar, what are you seeing as a as a league guy about the Rams this year? I love the Rams, man. A great opening day. In Oakland, between those two teams on Monday Night Football, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a, a real treat for football fans. The, the, the Rams are loaded. I think, uh, you know, John Gruden's first day back on the sideline, he's going to have to deal with uh, Wade Phillips and all his defensive wares. So um, 
I, yeah, I like the Rams a lot. You know, wouldn't be surprised if they go to the Super Bowl. You got to put it together. You got to, you got to, uh, you know, you, you don't win in the offseason. You, you got to put it together on the field. But I really like the steps they made last year, obviously, and they really loaded up for this year. And I, I like their coach and I like everything about the Rams right now. It's such a big difference. The culture of the team from just two years ago to now is a big difference. Oh, yeah. And that just shows you how quickly things can change in the NFL. The Rams are really a, an example for two owners that, yeah, you can you can turn around pretty quickly if, if you get the right situation, the right guy. Yeah, and that's why the Cleveland Browns fans out there need to have some hope. <laughs> right. All right, Bill, I'm hoping we can catch up with you again when the season starts because that's the first game. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. Thank you. Well, before you go, give a shout-out. Where can our fans follow you? Oh, I'm at uh, B. Williamson NFL on Twitter and RaidersSnakePit.com. It's a, a subscription site uh, that's really all things Raiders um, year-round. And uh, So, yeah, we appreciate it. And it's uh, uh, kind of a shout-out to Ken Snake Stable. We give a portion of our proceeds to uh, his uh, foundation, which is run by his daughter. So it's just kind of a cool thing. It's, you know, Raiders news and analysts analysis and columns and with a little bit of touch of the past and by the way folks he's got a podcast too so make sure you go over there and tune in yep Raider Bites thank you very much all right well hey thanks for coming on and we'll talk to you soon thank you very much all right take care all right you too all right guys what'd you think the Raiders so I don't know was it was it just him or did it seem like he really like feels like a Raiders fan to me like what what I envision a Raiders fan to be like. Did you guys what get do you mean? Did, well, you know, he just he almost seemed like it was like, eh, you know, whatever. We're gonna we're <laughs> we're gonna kill everybody and, you know, whoever's left standing, big deal. Did it seem like that to you? It seemed very self assured about where the Raiders are going, even when he expressed a little bit of doubt here and there. You know, that as, it does actually. As a uh as a Ram fan growing up in, in uh the LA region you know, you have a lot of Raider fans as well, so you almost you almost have to put up with them. Basically, the two kinds of Raider fans, and you can almost say this about, like, the Cowboys, too. You kind of have the more self-assured, like you mentioned, uh, fan where they basically have an idea of how the team's doing and its realistic approach. But afterwards, it's like, you know, anything remotely negative, they'll still kind of make it a positive. In terms of, and then there's, you know, the clueless fan that'll just say, oh, the Raiders are going to go to the Super Bowl regardless. Yeah, that that's basically what I had to put up with. Well, that's kind of uh, that's kind of the Raiders fan I know, is every year they're talking about how they're going to kick our butt and end up in the Super Bowl. And I, I'm okay with them saying that, because usually that's true. They usually would kick our butt, but we've had their number the last few years. But the draft that the Raiders had this year kind of seemed a little bit I don't know, out of sorts to me. I feel like Gruden in his first year just didn't – it almost felt like the homework wasn't done, if you want my opinion. But they did sign a lot of free agents, a lot of older ones, like he said. And, you know, maybe they're just trying to bide some time through the first year and set them set themselves up for next year. That's kind of the gist I'm getting from it. But, you know, other than that, I really, I really can't give you any opinion on how well I think the Raiders are going to do this year because – it's it's awful iffy in a lot of areas. If I had to bet, I'd say the, the Raiders are going to have a 500 season this year. And for Gruden's first year, that's probably acceptable. You know, the problem I really I have with the Raiders isn't that. It's the, it's 
the one thing he even expressed a little bit of concern over the fact that he went out there and got so many veterans. Now they have, I believe he said 18 veterans over the age of 29, that team that now you're one of the, the oldest teams in the league all of a sudden. And I know the Raiders went to the Super Bowl with a veteran team all those years ago, but now you're going to try and do it again. And I'm not so sure it's going to work. A lot older veterans equal injuries, they equal egos, they equal all kinds of chemistry problems, but it also could equal a desire to win. I just don't know what kind of magic they're going to have there. To kind of add to that, uh, the way he was explaining it was he believes, now mind you, this isn't a fact, this is kind of more along the lines of his thought process on the matter. He believes the reason they're kind of going in that direction is to help Gruden fit into his first year with the league, uh, or at least the first year back anyway. That may be true, but even if that were the case, I don't know. Like if you're if you're a head coach, you would want to work with the youth. I would imagine not to say that they that you shouldn't value the veterans or anything like that. But this is supposed to be kind of like the future of the team, you know. And yes, rookies are gonna fill in that void here and there. But to kind of keep piling on the age and more and more, I don't know. Like I think that's a kind of the wrong approach. This is kind of more of like the approach. If you feel like your team is already set and at least a, a potential contender, I don't see that in the Raiders at all. I mean, don't get me wrong. They have some studs on the team. I do think, you know, Carr is a really underrated quarterback. I, I think if healthy, he can be, a you know, an asset to have. And then on top of that, I don't think that we've seen the Raiders at their finest. Last year, I feel like it, you can almost brush it off as a fluke season in terms of how bad they performed, I do think they will improve, but maybe not to the extent of even making a playoff run. I don't know. That's just kind of weird, this whole offseason approach. The draft is still a mystery to me, too. I, I don't know. Just really weird offseason for the Raiders. Well, the Colton Miller pick, that was what really got me started right away. I was like, how are they, why are they taking him there in the first round? And that's kind of what got me in the direction of – did they really do their homework? I mean, I, I just think that it just didn't feel like they, they're all in. Like, you know, like if you look at the picks that we had as the Rams, every pick made sense. Every, every single pick made sense. Now, Oakland needs, you know, offensive linemen, but that pick just didn't make sense to me that soon in the draft when there were so many other playmakers there. And so that's kind of what me got, you know, got me started on this line of thinking. Derek, what, what do you think? Well, one question that pops to mind, I wish I would have thought to ask it to him during the interview was if they were so set in the fact they need a tackle and don't get me wrong the Raiders need a tackle why didn't they move up and get McGlinchey why yeah. why did they just sit there and then eventually trade back well McGlinchey they, they didn't have gone to move anywhere far. yeah they didn't have to move far to get him no I mean that's what I'm saying they, they could have got McGlinchey just by moving up, moving up a couple picks and and many people believe that McGlinchey was going to possibly drop but you can't tell him it's not chatter going around about who likes who if you want a guy, you go get him. So McGlinchey is the top-rated tackle in the draft, and it's not even close, really. Colton Miller's a guy you could probably get in the second round. You also had Will Fernandez early second round. You had other other offensive linemen, other tackles there. There's like four offensive line there taking the first ten picks in the second round. Is that right? We yeah. talked about that. Right. And you know, it just doesn't make sense to me for them to just move back and take a second a second round rated guy who will probably be there in the second round. But on the flip side of it, I have to be fair here and say, 
I've made the same case for the Rams, and I made it with Brian Allen. I said he's pro- you can probably get him lower, but if the Rams think they need him now and that's their guy, then they got to go get him. And maybe that's what the Raiders are convinced of. Maybe the Raiders saw something that convinced them that Colt Miller's our guy. Colton Miller, I'm a UCLA guy, so I, I know all about Colton Miller. Miller is is a decent prospect. I don't know if I would have drafted him so high in the draft, but you know he is a decent prospect. There is a need at right tackle for the Oakland Raiders, but it's not so much that the Raiders selected him that was the problem. The problem was the talent that they passed to get this guy. Now, if you are the Rams, if you are the Los Angeles Rams, where, you know, there isn't a whole lot of holes to fill, you know, you can get by, you know, you 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 can almost get a pass for, you know, going after a guy like, you know, a, a Brian Allen kind of thing. In this case, not only was it a higher pick, but then you not only selected Miller, but you let a guy like Derwin James fall past you guys. And then not only that, he is selected by the San Diego Chargers. He's going to make them pay. He's going to make them pay big time. Los Angeles football (laughs) chargers. Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) I know. It's almost like we don't think they're actually in the the city, but apparently they are. Yeah. Well, my apologies to the Los Angeles Clippers. I mean, chargers. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But you get my point. Yeah, we do. We do. It's a fair point. We do. Okay, we're, we're we gotta move on here. It's, we're also be here till eons, eons in the morning. By the way, you could check out RaiderSteakPit.com to read Bill's work or listen to his podcast Raider Bites, which which is found on his website. Also, you can you can follow Bill at B Williams NFL on Twitter. Okay, so the last part of our show, we've had a couple of really big mega shows these last couple of weeks, folks. Don't get used to it, okay? We're we're podcasting like crazy people here, but when Jim Everett comes on the show. Jim Everett comes on the freaking show, okay? He's be- become a friend of our show and the site over the last few years. He's always welcome on the show. And when we get a chance to sit down and pick his brain, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to really get into the mind of an NFL quarterback who has seen so many things. So I sat down with him yesterday to get his thoughts on the Rams offseason and draft, and here's what he had to say. All right, we're here with the Rams great Jim Everett once again on the call, one of our friends of the show. How you doing, Jim? Derek, it's always good to be with you, my friend. So, uh, I'm doing great. It's great outside. The Los Angeles Rams seem to be improving on paper. And, uh, they put the work in and we'll see, we'll see what happens. Well, that's why we had you on today is because you always have really good feedback on what you see. Last year, one of the things you told me about the draft was the Rams went after the smart guys, the guys who knew football. What did you see this year? Well, I think that certainly paid off last year. I mean, you, you take a guy like Cooper Cup, who there's no doubt after he's done playing days are over, he's probably going to be coaching. He's that, he's that, uh, that smart. And, uh, I think again, if we go back on that theme, I think the Rams in 2018 went after, you know, smart guys. I mean, let's look at our first round. Well, our first round is Brandon Cooks. You know, we, we traded it out. We got Brandon Cooks. He's a smart player. He's been in a couple different situations. He, He's handled himself PR-wise excellent. His ability on the field to kind of stretch the field is going to be, per- you know, perfectly what we need. And I think that uh, he'll fit right in with, with this group extremely well. You know, second round was our rental with uh, 
Sammy Watkins. We can't keep doing second year rentals, uh, rentals, hence, hence, uh, Marcus <laughs> Peters. So we, <laughs> we can't, be, we can't be losing second round picks on one year wonder. So hopefully they get something done with Marcus. But, uh, you know, then when we, we step in, we got our, our pick, Joe Noteboom, on third. I mean, third round. He's a, what, three time all academic Big 12 player. He's a very, very intelligent, uh, offensive tackle. He's, he's, uh, uh, he was one of the top five forty times, so he's athletic, and he's and he's kind of um, what what I saw when I saw some film on him is he's not afraid to get upfield and block. And with some of the bubble screens and some of the things that the Rams do with their uh, with their offense, they need athletic tackles. And I think that really proved it last year with Whitworth. Is, you know, being able to to get downfield, not only pass protect, especially when you have to block really quick guys like Von Miller and stuff like that that are coming. But the athlete to, to be able to move, get downfield, and even get blocks, and this kid's going to do it. And he's he's like a puppy. I don't. Uh, he's working in a great situation where he's with uh, with Kramer coached him. And I said, I told him he's going to be getting a master's in uh, in football, and I'm sure he won't be able to consume it. And so it'll be interesting to see how he works. And I don't see him on the field much so this year. In case of injury, he may be forced to duty, but. You know, I think it's a full year of, of learning, training, and getting that body even even more um, uh, polished up. I think will serve him well. But again, here's a really smart kid that I think is going to excel in the film film room, and then it'll show it on the field. And do you think that he could possibly be the heir apparent to Andrew Whitworth? Well, I think they have to address that. I mean, Andrew's not getting any younger, but none of us are, and uh, he's playing at such a high level. Um, to be able to come in and to see what that bar is for a left tackle, not just coming in being handed a job and on the job training. He's going to be able to see, you know, what is what is it like to be a leader on the team? What is it like to be work in the weight room? What's it like to be a professional in meetings? All these different things. The bar is going to be set so hard, high with Andrew that he can carry these things over. And I think successful programs build that, which I think leads on to our other draft picks. So I mean, right after Nobu, you know, I thought, uh, you know, I thought we would maybe be out of line, middle linebacker, but Jewel was taken by Denver. And I really thought that was going to be the pick they took. But uh, another smart guy from Iowa, they ended up taking Brian Allen, a center from Michigan State. And the thing I like to see about Brian is he is a mauler. Again, we've got an older center, John Sullivan. He's working in a good situation. John's health has been questionable over, you know, two of the last three years. So. I would say if any of the rookies that get playing time on this offense, I would say Brian Allen would have the highest probability of getting on the field. But what I really like about this kid is um, he, has, he has another brother down at New Orleans, so the family is a football family. But this kid was a wrestler. I mean, you, I like those guys in the middle, the center, the guard position, mm-hmm. guys that can just get in there and you know grapple and uh, you know legally. And he's not afraid to get his nose in it. And I think that you know. He's a big 300-pound kid. I think he, he anchors, anchors that middle pretty darn good. So I would see him as the type of guy that is in another good situation with John, but John somehow hits the injury bug. And we've got to look at it. 2017, the Rams didn't get the injury bug like some other teams. But if we did, these, these rookies would be forced into service pretty quick. Well, the Rams lucked out quite a bit last year. You had yeah. a couple small things here and there, but there's no guarantee for next year. Andrew got his knee rolled over, and he was back the next game. I mean, some – Sometimes that's, you know, months, if not nine months down. And that's 
you know, one of those knock on wood, cross your fingers kind of things. And mm-hmm. for Brian Allen, he was a guy, though, that many folks, especially on social media, all the draft pundits were like, why on earth the Rams take him so early? They could have got him later. Why do you think they took him then? In the fourth round, at a pick one, uh, 111? Yeah. I, I think that the Rams really had to let the draft come to them. Again, they didn't have a first or second, so they couldn't force or they couldn't mortgage the future to move back up. So he had to kind of, you know, pick and choose, and, and that'll, that's exactly what they did later on in the draft is there was some good talent in the fourth round. And like I was talking about that linebacker named Jewel from Iowa, I, I see him starting for Denver not too long. That's a fourth-round kid. That's how deep linebackers were. Um, I think offensive linemen, to be able to land in the third round as an athletic offensive tackle as we got was, you know, a lot of credit to less sleep, less need, but it's just the way the draft goes. You know, other teams have other needs and they're addressing their other needs. And, you know, we had a chance to, of looking at linebackers or, or rush edge guys. Um, edge rushers were a little bit thin this year in, in depth, but I, I, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later about exactly what I thought Les Need did to address that. And he went after guys that were what we're going to call in a different scheme that he's projecting in our scheme to be successful. They went after John Franklin Myers next, and we actually had a chance to talk with him, and I was really impressed with his with his views on film work and getting stronger and getting in the gym with Aaron Dahl and so on and so forth. Did you happen to see any kind of film that you liked with him? Well, I didn't get to see much much film on him except for, you know, knowing he's at Stephen F. Austin. Did they even film at that school so small? I'm, I'm kidding, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not a big school, but this was a big kid. And he's raw, and he's, you know, and that's exactly the first, I'm glad you addressed it. This is, you know, he was the first one that is, was in a scheme change. They actually moved him down to a three technique on his senior year, and so his productivity dropped because he was more in the Aaron, Aaron Donald position when actually they want to move him out to the five technique and to a rush in on uh, more like an edge guy when they when were in third down situations. So here's here's a guy that was actually out in the play in center because his team needed him there. But he was really playing out of position for what Wade, Wade Phillips will do. And so, again, this is where I thought that maybe we're picking up a guy like, like John Franklin that played out of position in college, at least a senior year. His numbers were down, but yet you feel that he's just going to be as productive when they move him back, back out um, like he was his sophomore and junior year. Then they went after Jamil Demby, the guard from Maine. How did you feel about him? You know, Did you see a film on him? Because I – I, I saw some. It was pretty impressive. Well, Dimby I had as the 192 pick. We, we didn't we go from Micah Kaiser after that linebacker. I think I may have skipped a guy. Yeah, I think I'm, we, I'm there's human. a couple. Yes, <laughs> there's a couple guys, and we went after that Kaiser linebacker from Virginia. Again, yeah. we were looking for for linebackers, and you know his plays. He, you know, he only led the conference in tackles, and he's still available. Available, you know, at that point, it's like, you know, we're still in the fifth round and, and picking up very, very productive players. So, again, here's a guy that's more of what I would put in the label of run stopper. Um, there's been some question on his pass, uh, pass drops and this and that, but I don't think that that's what they're looking for, at least you know, initially from him. Um, remember, the Achilles heel of the Rams last year was the run game on defense against us. And so bringing in guys that can – that can fill the gaps and run stuff and do those things. They're going to be very important. Are they going to play action? Of course. Every offense in the world, when they know they have a rookie inside linebacker, they're going to they're going to play action the heck out of them, fake run, and throw right behind them. 
I mean, that's what you do unless you got Mike Singletary or, you know, one of these other studs behind back there. But, yeah, so I see uh, Nika being being a, a guy that is going to probably contribute a lot on special teams because he's, he's such a heavy hitter. But he's a player. And so that's that was the thing that I, I really liked about picking that, that guy is here's a football player, and he knows football, and he's available in the fifth round, and he's a position of need. And we address a lot of needs. And he probably will be a special team starter. I'd be surprised if he wouldn't. I was really and, happy with the pick. I'm thrilled. Yeah. Well, I think that next pick, when we're talking about in 160 going after Oboe, now that, that was rare, I think, you know, because having him there available was, you know, he's a little undersized, but he's, a, you, know, a, you know, a pass rusher that, um, you know, he's, what, 252. He probably, they probably want to give him up to 260-something, maybe 270. Um, but you're still a young kid that can rush, had a very successful career in, um, you know, Oklahoma. And you know, as far as a, a player on defense that could get on the field on a more regular basis, my odds are it's him, um, at least rotation and on pass rush um, out from the uh, on the edge. So he's just he's just a baller. And, uh, again, I think it was a good pick. Good athletic pick. I think it'll be a surprise pick for uh, you know for the rookies of the year that go go on. Um, as I said last year, Cooper Cup would be a guy that could play as a rookie. He did. Um, mm-hmm. He led led the NFL in receiving for rookies. And then I think Oboe on defense will be a guy that could possibly, depending on how he develops, possibly have a chance to lead sacks for um, for rookies. I'm really high on both Micah Kaiser and Oboe I, I think both of them will make an impact immediately on that defense. Mm-hmm. And to get them fourth and fifth round, I'm thrilled. I, I can't even imagine in, in today's NFL to get players like that so late in the draft. It, it's hard to do, and I was pretty impressed with how they maneuvered. And they didn't really make any real trades either. They made the well, one I, to move up, and that was it. Well, and then that, that other the other pick for John Kelly that leads right after that the the, the kind of the running back from Tennessee who can basically do it all. You know, he's uh, uh, he was back up to the kid down in uh, New Orleans when um, oh gosh, name just escapes me right now. The hot rookie running back last year, but he, he he took his role over at Tennessee, and I'm telling you what, he's he's good. That kid's good, and I, we think we were wanting a third down back, and I think that's what they're going to try to move that role into for him um, is because he's so quick and, and do those quick type of things on third down. But, to, you know, that's the key thing for a rookie there is can't take up all the pass protection. And so that's why Todd Gurley is probably going to get most of the third down until, you know, you know, a guy like John Kelly could come in and, and uh, understand the blocking schemes. Uh, but when he does, I think this kid's going to be electric. That's a six rounder I'm talking like that. We don't yeah, ever yeah. do I mean this is this is deep. These guys are good football players. You know, we get down to Dimby, he's another smart player. You got Joseph, who's kind of a run stuffer, uh defensive tackle, how he fits in, in the camp. Trevon Young a little bit later. He was a kid who who hurt his hip down Louisville was was probably a top three round pick. Hurts his hip, uh gets some surgery on it, has a slow start, ends up finishing the year, but you know, I, I, again, he's another scheme scheme guy that in Louisville went to a four three defense. We so got caught up in a scheme change, and had the hip. So again, another project where let's move him out to the three four. Let's let's see how he looks um, out as out as an outside linebacker. Get his hand off the ground and let the kid run because he's a good athlete. And they pick up you know Howard, who's who's a good linebacker, who's more like a Baron type. Guaranteed. Mm-hmm. 
Trent Howard will be a special teams type guy. I mean, he'll probably be one of the favorite guys there. And then Justin Lawyer, again, another successful player. The free agent I like that they got is to great scale, the IU. He's an inside linebacker. I think that's a good pickup. Again, maybe is that another special teams guy? Probably. You know, we had a really good special teams, and I think you've heard me say the word probably five or six times in this mm-hmm. conversation. All of these guys are contribute over there. And Fossil's got to be stoked. I would be. And, you know, Scales is – I'm hearing that across the board. I'm hearing that from on Scales. They were surprised Scales did not get drafted. They were even more surprised that the Rams didn't go get them during the draft, and here they gave them free agency. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I don't know – I don't see the, the draft card. I don't know the medical history. I don't know the personal history. I don't, I don't, I don't care to. And, and, you know, and what, what the reason someone is that they didn't run a quick, for, a quick enough 40 time or, you know, have small hands or whatever that might be. But all I know is a kid can play football. And he played well at IU. And uh, some, of that, some of that can translate, and it does. Every year, almost every team, there's a free agent that comes in and surprises you. And he's just a baller. And this kid would not surprise me to make this football team. Any chance he could be, you know, usually there's at least one guy who surprises so much they eventually wind up starting. Could he be that guy down the line that starts? He might be. You don't know till you put the pads on, and you don't know. I mean, sometimes when you look at somebody, you're like, okay, that's just a guy. But then when you play, it's a whole different thing. You know, it's it's like they just get it. You know, it's like you're playing a game with with some guys, and you know they look the part. To this, but some guys get it, and some guys don't. And once you line up and you go through all the classroom work, you go through all. Some guys are you know better teammates than other. How do they gel with the team? Because every year. There's all these new guys coming in, and chemistry means so much. And even with the coaches, I, you know, one thing we talked about before was how is the chemistry in that quarterback offensive coordinator room going to be? Because we lost our offensive coordinator and our quarterback coach last year. We're, that whole chemistry and that whole system that has changed just because the guys leave. It wasn't the same I know when Dick Corey left for me, and I know it's it's similar for Jerry Golf. Those chemistries have to be built. Every team is different, and I think that you're going to hear Coach, you know, besides saying we, not me, besides saying this 2018 is a brand new year. They don't care if they're you're ranked one or you know last. You got to go out and play Sunday. You got to prove it. You got to prove that you belong, and and you know, and that's what they're working on right now is, is seeing where everything fits. And it's going to be a process through June, July, August to see fair it out. Who's going to be part of the chemistry, the winning part of it? Okay, so let's bring it all together here. We have the, this draft, which I think, just from the sound of it, you're happy with it. I am. I mean, I don't think we can go years and years without a first and second round pick. I don't think that that's, that's going to be a healthy thing. <laughs> we, yeah. we definitely need to, you know, we definitely need to be taken last in the first round, that's for sure. But it's nice to have that, that last pick in the first round, uh, just, to, you know, as, as somebody to help you, as you can see. We're talking about talent in the third and fourth round that I think is pretty pretty stable talent. Not perfect, pretty stable that can contribute. You know, every year you have to you have to keep solidifying your core um, with with guys in the first and second round that are going to develop be your go to guys, and hopefully you don't miss on that because teams that miss on the first and second round aren't usually in the playoffs. Yeah, the, you can look at the Browns and know that. I mean, good lord, when will they ever finally? Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they've figured it out now, but. Well, you you never know. You never know what the guys that they pick and first and fourth. How they let Chubb get by is beyond me. I don't I don't understand that. How they let Donald get by them 
is beyond me, but I don't understand the draft. I just understand guys I look at and play ball. But, you know, they, they have a guy leading them over there that's a paid professional and sees things different. Yep. We'll, we'll see how they go. But it, yeah. and, get, and kind of finishing things off here, bringing this draft together, combining it with the free agent slash trade class here, how does mm-hmm. this team look on paper for you? And with the schedule that's in place, how do you think this all works out for next year, at least on paper? Well, on paper, Derek, I mean, I, I think we're the talk of the nation, to be honest. I mean, bringing in a guy like Sue, solidifying that nose tackle position, not saying the guys that he's placing were placing were were anything different, but I mean, this is this is a known commodity. This is a man's man playing nose tackle. I mean, this this is right next to Aaron Donald. That's going to be you got Brockers sliding out. You know, I think the question mark is, you know, does Longacre or Thompson or Devon Young, whoever is out there playing outside linebacker position, can they can they handle that fourth rush end, or who's going to you know take Young's spot? Um, so. I think that was some question last year as far as, you know, our, our outside linebacker was, was getting pushed around a little bit in the running game. And I think that's why you saw the trade with Miami. But on, on paper, I think our schedule's tougher um, than it was last year. So, I mean, I, I, there's no cakewalk. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty formidable, uh, and that's what happens. And then people don't realize that, you know, when you finish first in your division, you're going to play the other teams that are first in your divisions and, play a tougher schedule. If you finish last in your division, you'll be playing the other last teams in their division first. So, I mean, it's just schedule. Strength of schedule is what I'm talking about. Will will be harder. Um, on paper, I don't know anyone looks better than us in the secondary. It's I mean, not even close, really. Uh, LAPD, you know, Tara, Los Angeles <laughs> pass defense is going to be, or pressure defense, or whatever it's going to be, whatever they want to call themselves, but um, I, I don't know. It's if I was a quarterback, I'd be a little, a little bit worried which which edge guy I'd want to attack. I'd probably think I want to attack the old man, but he was he was still pretty freaking talented. And the thing about it is, when you look at Akeem and, and those guys, the guys that are behind him, um, I wouldn't watch last year. I liked our cornerbacks last year, but Hill is good. I think Blake Countless is good, uh, even though I think Hatfield's good. I mean, you've got some guys, and, and that's not even talking about the starters. Yeah. So there's there's some depth. They need some experience, but there's some depth that I think those those eight guys will be a pretty damn confident group. I tell you when they when they get on the field, I bet you that group is talking a lot of stuff. That's that's, <laughs> that's gonna be I cannot wait to see in training camp when the Ravens meet up with the Rams. Mm-hmm. Akeem Talib, Michael Crabtree again. That's gonna be very interesting. Those two teams go at it in training camp. Here in August, I can't. I, that's going to be some good TV viewing right there. It is, and you know, I heard a report where um, uh, the receiver from uh, Dallas turned down a long-term contract to be with Baltimore, but they just need receivers. I mean, uh, there's, there's, you know, they had missed on a, on a couple draft picks, and it's hurt them. You know, like Denver has missed on a couple draft picks, and the receivers are getting a little old, and you just can't do that. You know, that's where where I even see guys, you know, on our team taking the next step up. Is Mike Thomas and Josh Reynolds have to show that they are NFL worthy? I think they both are. I think you know there was a reason maybe why Coach didn't want to rely on both those two guys and brought in Brandon Cooks. But if I was one of those two and Coach brings in Brandon Cooks, I'm like, what do I have to do to be better so I can be that guy? So I mean, I think there's a lot of competition, and that's what makes the NFL so good. Is you got your 
inner team competition, then you you then you got to start your season and take it out on those other all pros that are across across the way from you. I love our defense. I think I think the question mark is still going to be the outside linebacker uh, who's going to rush, and then you know inside linebacker who's going to you know with Barron and you know the, the whole mix of their you know who's going to be our inside linebackers to solidify the run. But I like our team, of course, offense. I like them again. I mean, you kind of got Todd Gurley and Jared Goff and all the weapons that they have. Um, I'd like to see a step up in tight end play. I think it has to happen this year. I think we can't go another year with, you know, relying on Cooper Cup taking over possession. We need another tight end that's going to say, give me the ball. I want the ball. I'm not saying Gronkowski-like, but something a level up from what we had last year. And last year was so mm-hmm. – I mean, it was – Right. That's where my cousin, Mr. Everett, needs to get get busy and be the guy. <laughs> and I think he can be. I think the, the raw ability is there. And he, he made this catch in the 49er game, which was just off the chain. It was on the sidelines. It looked beautiful. And I'm sitting there thinking, you could have been doing this all year. You you clearly yeah. have the talent to do it. That's That's what you get with rookies. You get inconsistent play. But they're not rookies at that position anymore. And the, the more he can – build his confidence with Jared Goff and then Jared Goff in the back of his mind. I remember times with Pete Houlihan. I had Pete Houlihan and just kind of the thoughts that go through my mind. He's like, I'm going through my reads, but I know if I get in serious trouble, I know where I can go because he's going to be he's gonna be money. So it's like one of those things that you just develop and then it just develops in the quarterback's head. is like, that's my insurance. And I, I think Cooper Cup has that. You know, I think there was a couple plays. There was a game, I think it was Seattle, and I think he could have won the game. Yeah, and he didn't good. make the play. But that, to me, is rookie play. It's inconsistent. Does, does he make that catch 99 of 100 times? He does. But in that first-time situation, he didn't. You know, and, and I, could, I could just feel for him on that. I guarantee you, as a pro's pro, he won't miss that pass another 99 times. But he did that one time, and he, uh, I know he was distraught. At, uh, but not to, not to dwell on the negative, those are the learning situations you get with rookies. And I don't care what position you have, even if they're the number one pick, Baker Mayfield, he's going to make make mistakes. You're going to make rookie mistakes. If Cleveland thinks they can win, you know, ten games within a quarterback, they might want to rethink that. I'm not saying he won't start. He, he probably will, but I guess they win one. That's more than they won all last year. Well, they've lost 34 out of 35 games. You, I mean, you, there's only one way to go from here. So you know. Yeah. So anyway, that was fun to watch all the quarterbacks come off the board. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be fun to watch. Uh, Lamar throw for Baltimore. I'd like to see it in person. Um, I, I tell you what, I, I play fantasy football, and I'm sure some of your viewers do as well. And I don't know anybody that has been drafting Joe Flacco. Even though he's a functional good quarterback for fantasy, I mean, it doesn't happen. So, I mean, I don't know if it's the weapons. I don't know if the guy's up front. I don't know if it's Joe. But if Lamar shows anything, of all those guys playing, he could be seeing some playing time. I know Darnold will be seeing it. It's probably Rosen will be seeing playing time because – Sam Bradford will be hurt again. I mean, I also think that uh, the kid that may be in the best position if there is injury is Mason Rudolph down in Pittsburgh. Oh, I mean, yeah. here's a kid. I like his talent, his skill set. I really do. And he lands with Pittsburgh with a team with all those weapons. If something happens to Ben and he has a chance to play, he could be a very successful player. And, of course, well, Ben's already saying, no thanks, uh, if he thinks he's taking my job. He's going to wait three to five years. Ben just retiring last retiring Yeah, I know, right? I mean, that's, that's 
these guys make me laugh because they're sitting there saying how you know every year we hear Ben we hear rumors of Ben Roethlisberger saying I'm not sure if I can do this anymore you know I'm getting up there in age I'm going to talk about retiring and then all of a sudden when they draft a quarterback because you keep saying you're going to retire football is weird I just the personalities involved sometimes it's weird I'm just thinking if you're having those thoughts sometimes you don't need to say them <laughs> the other part is is if you want to be the leader on your team go lead your team you know. If you're having second thoughts, get the heck out because your other your other teammates don't want you there if you're not fully committed. I mean, all of these different things that if, like, just for example, if anybody leading a business, if you're going to walk, walk, talk to talk, and, and lead by example. You know, Ben saying, I might retire, I might this. What is that telling your teammates? Now, I don't, maybe they have some sort of sorority they run over there, but I don't know what that's going in, in, in Pittsburgh. And, again, gals, I don't mean to be dogged sororities, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying if they want to. <laughs> Or act like that, you know. I don't know what they're running over there, but you know, obviously it's a good football team. I think they got themselves a good quarterback, and that was my point here. Um, I don't mean to be slandering anybody. I just saying that I think that kid of all the quarterbacks going in situations that are teams I mean, that could have talent around him. I think Mason Rudolph probably hit the goal line. Yeah, I think he did. It's an opportunity for him to sit behind. You know, Roethlisberger learn the game, not have to be pressured about anything. But the Steelers are going to contend no matter what. So I think it's a great move for him. And honestly, I do like that with the Browns because Tyrod Taylor has so many similarities with with, with Mayfield that mm-hmm. they can let Mayfield sit this year and have him learn the game and no pressure. There is no pressure. When you're 0-16, what pressure should you feel? Well, no, nah, but you, you definitely want to win the game every time you step on the field. So sure. the pressure comes from inside. But, you know, again, that offensive line, um, it does. I, I, I see where Baker Mayfield's game and Tyrod Taylor's would probably be you know, a little more similar. You know, the big move, I thought, was the Bills moving up for Josh Allen. I mean, talking about an athlete could be boom or bust, it's him. And I, I, I love his skill set. I just don't know what you're getting out of him. But then again, if you got McCoy running the ball, you're not putting the ball in the quarterback's hands. But he's kind of the opposite guy as in. Than, than Tyrod Taylor. I mean, here's big, you know, he's like Carson Wentz's size. He can move, too, but he hadn't been as efficient with the ball as Tyrod Taylor has been with his whole career. So that, that offensive staff might have to rethink what they really are going to expect from a kid that can be just an all-out gunslinger and, you know, maybe throw it through the defense a few more times than Tyrod ever did. Uh, and that's going to be really fun to watch, I think, if you are a – a fan of the draft to see what happens with Josh Allen, what happens with Mayfield, what happens with Josh Rosen out there in Arizona, because he's going to play. At some point, sure. Sam Bradford's going to trip on something and fall down and be done. I think, the the quarterbacks, I think Rosen's closer to ready to play than any of them. I think all the other stuff that we're talking about, his mind or his commitment to the game or his all this stuff is a, bo- a bunch of hogwash. Uh, just maybe a reason that his body style wasn't as pro- you know, set. He's a little bit thinner. He's, you know, we talked about Jared Goff being a little bit thinner for the quarterback mm-hmm. position. Now I'm trying to encourage Jared to, you know, bulk up a little bit and because, you know, go 16 games, you can't be, you know, string being back there. And I think Josh has a little body built that's a little bit like that. And I think that was maybe some of the reasons the scouts were a little bit, a little cooler on him. Arizona's not cool on, uh, off on him because I think that he can play if he's got someone to throw to and an offensive line that can block, which is, Really a big question. I mean, if I'm having our Los Angeles Rams defense go against that offensive line, I'd be afraid for Josh. <laughs> Rosen, Rosen's going to be running his butt off 
uh, you know, try to get away from these guys. And and yet, the Rams have a way with hurting Cardinal quarterbacks. They've been doing it for years. <laughs> I think uh, that's Car- Carson Wentz too. Oh my goodness, they they hurt people. They uh, they hurt them. All right, so we've gone through it, Jim. As always, we're going to watch it back, especially come come around training camp. So, uh, thanks a lot, so much for coming on. You're well loved on this show. You're like one of our most popular guests for obvious reasons because. You know, I'm a, a huge fan and all, but the rest of the guys like you too. So I expect you'll come on again, right? I will. Derek, I tell you, the, the camp, uh, just to give everyone the, the lowdown, the camp is down here in Irvine, which is probably 15, 20 minutes from my mm-hmm. house. So I'm there quite a bit. I get to have a chance to, you know, see all the guys, meet all the guys, be around them, get a feel, and then, you know, we do a little stuff for CBS. Um, so, you know, hopefully that all continues. Um, and I'll be down there. I'm a big fan, but. Derek, I think you do a good job, too. I appreciate your coverage of the Rams. I mean, you do a good, fair job. I think that there's a lot for our fans to be excited about right now. I still think when the fans are discussing, you know, the color, what colors we should wear is our biggest item of need, I think that's a good thing. Oh, we don't let that fly, you know, we don't let that pass either here, too. I saw some journalists over at, um, I think it was Rich Hammond. We talked about this on our last podcast, uh-huh. and, you know, I think sometimes just the regular media gets lost in, on what those uniforms actually mean, especially to the longtime fans who watch this team leave. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's value in, in wearing those colors. This this is going to not be happening in Dallas, period. Ooh. I mean, they have their colors are set, they're done. So, I mean, if we plan on being America's team, we better be set. Quit playing around. Just make it happen. Let's make it happen. Be what we are and let's go. And let, let, let us fans get the right gear on, for God's sake. Let's go. <laughs> Amen. I don't know which darn hat to wear. One with yellow, one with white, one with, with old old gold, whatever that is. I, I don't know. Just get us by our blue and yellow and let's roll. Well, yeah, and, of course, a lot of the fan base sees the team doing a lot of the blue and white right now, and that's yeah. fine, but the the real fixer is going back to the blue and, and the blue and gold, the, the L.A. blue and gold, not the St. Louis blue and gold. That's just... Well, I do know that they're they are in marketing things right now and doing all this stuff. The, the opening of the stadium is going to be a huge hubbub. So I mean, I'm sure there's some stalling on that, but I'm sure there will be when they do an update. There will be an update on what our permanent logo is, what this is, what colors is, you know, the whole deal. Uh, and I know they're doing market studies on that now, and they probably can't talk about all the details of those. Um, Anyways, it will be it will be solidified by 2020. So we got a couple more years of trying to figure it out. Well, the killer is that one combination, that road combination, where they're forced to wear the dark uniform with the St. Louis colors on, and they have the white helmet and the white stripe down the side. That's where that looks bad. Anything else is fairly acceptable. It's that it's that one that just looks really bad. Well, just just know that Georgia Frontier one of those colors. Okay, <laughs> God bless your soul. Oh boy. Well, she. <laughs> For as flamboyant as she was, she was never known exactly for her fashion sense. She, hey, you know, she, she wanted was, to put lime in there. Yeah. I could swear, I swear, I was at a meeting at one point in time, she wanted like a green lime put in there, like, kind of like the Seattle hat. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, my oh, God, no. No, no. <laughs> so you, but we, next, the next time we talk, we need to sit there and get a little, in your brain a little more about Georgia Frontier, because I'm sure you got some stories. Hey, all I, I love her. I mean, she really was. I'll tell you one quick one. I will tell people is that, you know, she would always give me hugs, but she would always French kiss Vince Ferragamo. So I, you know, I don't know how it works. <laughs> I, I'm just okay looking. 
Now, see, now, I get, now I get Vince Veragamo on the show. That's what we need to do now is get him on the show. Cause we, get Vince on. Tell, tell him and Jody that, uh, that Georgia Ontario was Frenchman. Oh, man. See, now I get the lowdown on that. Okay. Well, Jim, <laughs> thanks again for coming on. We'll talk soon. Always want to have you on. All right. Always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. Bye. All right, guys. Final thoughts for the evening. What do you have? I want to be in on one of these Jim Everett interviews one of these days. You know, you're getting to hog him the whole time. Yeah, Derek, stop being so damn selfish. Well, you know, jeez. Oh, here's, here's the reality of it. I'm a little, uh, you know, you edit the raw stuff, so I know you know, but I actually, in the conversation at the end, I told Jim, I said, you know what, Jim, you're good at this stuff, and you should probably have your own podcast. You know, if you ever want to be in on podcast, come and join our staff and, and co-host with us because we'd love to have you. And he actually said he'd think about it. And I was like, giddy inside. But he's freaking smart, man. He knows what he's talking about. And he gives you that real voice into what it is to be an NFL football player. And not just an NFL football player, but a quarterback and a talent evaluator. Man, it was also what was really cool was today, just in the middle of the day, he tweets at me. He tweeted an article at me from the Rams webpage talking about the football IQ because that's something we talked about in the interview. And I'm sitting there thinking, dude, Jim Everett, my childhood hero, just tweeted at me. <laughs> well, I'll never be able to say that because Youngblood doesn't have Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm just thinking, it feels like, you know, and hopefully he's not listening to him and this guy's a stalker. It feels like I'm actually like forming a friendship with you know, somebody I really looked up to growing up. So it's really neat. I, I you know, we'll, we'll keep having Jim on the show because he just knows what he's talking about. And by the way, folks, you can follow Jim on Twitter. He's at Jim underscore Everett. You really should. His, he says a lot of funny things on there. His gifts are hilarious. Yeah. So. He, he's funny. And uh, he's got the insider information, which is great. And he's got a very high football IQ himself and just being a smart guy overall, anything he says, you ought to pay attention to for sure. Yeah, that was one of the things we talked about in the very first interview uh, last year was that football IQ thing. And, again, that's what came up in this draft. The Rams go and they're, they're getting football IQ guys. And now you understand how the culture of this team is turning around. It's because they're getting smart guys. They're getting guys that can read schemes, who, can, who enjoy the film room. This is what's really big about why I believe the Rams have permanently turned it around. Because this is the culture they're, they're – putting in place they're putting people in place who can think and who are intelligent and who will study the game and jim does a great job of pointing that out well that's why we brought johnny on the on the podcast with us so that we'd have some higher iq on here <laughs> all right folks don't forget to follow us on twitter at oh. talk rams and on facebook at facebook.com forward slash rams talk you can find me at dc paul on twitter norm at norm hightower and magic johnny at Johnny Five Not Six, don't forget us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, and IE Beat Radio. Oh, and one more thing before we go, because I almost forgot this, we got some feedback asking about, or mentioning, or complaining, or critiquing—I'm not sure if that's the word—our audio on the phone interviews. Guys, sometimes it's beyond our control. Sometimes it's a bad connection. Sometimes I know normal will vouch for this. Normal tell us. We'll say, man, hey, we sounded fine, but this guy we interviewed, did, he, he, something was wrong with this line. I, I'm doing the best I can to fix it. That's just the name of the game. Sometimes these guys cannot cannot get on Skype with us and cannot 
do those kind of things and we just do the best we can. We'd rather give you, give the interview to you in whatever form we have it than not show it to you at all. And, and a lot of times these guys can't reschedule and they, they can't um, just call back later. Um, we just got to do what we got to do. And that will oftentimes mean that maybe the phone call quality that we get from them is not perfect. We have professional editing equipment, and I do everything I can to turn up the volume and remove background noise and things like that. But once you get to a certain point when a person's call quality is really bad, you can only go so far before it distorts it. You know, you're trying to make it better, but you end up actually making it worse. So I promise you we're doing the best job we can with the sound quality of the people that call in. Uh, there has been a couple interviews that we haven't even put on because they just weren't they just weren't good enough but uh we always try to do the best we can and, and you know like derek said hearing some of a good interview is better than not hearing any of it so please keep that in mind as you leave us feedback on on some things or um because sometimes it's just not within our control all right so moving on i uh, will talk to you this week we have right now our next show has guests planned for um, the kansas city chiefs and chicago bears both opponents for next year and I'm proud to say that we've also had a Roman Gabriel interview coming up to to uh, put out there for you guys. He was a great guy. It was great talking to him. And it's going to be really, really great to get him on the air and just bring him back some old school Rams memories. So for Norm and Magic Johnny, this is Derek C. Apollo. We'll see you soon. Adios. type of drama. Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city? Home to your biggest rival. The battle of LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, action. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history? Still in the making. Oh my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.